0: Hey everyone, Brian Weber here. Thanks for listening. We have a great episode in store for you today. Before that, I need to ask you for a small favor that won't cost anything but a minute of your time, and it would mean the world to this show and our guests. Somehow, this show about the founders of the modern cannabis industry is not showing up when searching for cannabis or entrepreneur in many of the podcast platforms. That's obviously a big problem for a show about cannabis entrepreneurs. One of the things we can do to solve that is with reviews. Giving just one minute of your time to submit a review of this show, using the words cannabis and entrepreneur in it will help us get found so we can keep sharing these amazing founders journeys. For new listeners, I really hope you consider this after enjoying this show. For our continuing listeners, if you can do this right now, I'd greatly appreciate it. Go ahead, hit pause, I'll wait right here. Thank you. We were plateauing a bit. I
1: wasn't seeing the growth as fast as we would like. And I said, okay, what are we going to do here, right? Because I'm not doing this just to tread water. You know, I'm doing this to make it exciting. So, you know, we were deciding whether we're going to honestly close the business or, you know, do something else. And when we did an inventory of all of our clients, there were two... Uh, medical cannabis stores, right, so medical marijuana dispensaries, that were spending over $1,000 a month. And we looked into it a bit deeper, and we realized the reason why they're spending so much more is because they want to communicate with their customers so much more frequently than a yogurt shop or a pizza shop.
0: Welcome to Lit Up, A Founder's Journey, a show about the entrepreneurial pioneers of the modern cannabis industry and the organizations they're building. Each episode features the founder themselves sharing their life's journey that inspired the entrepreneur within to create the most impactful ideas in modern cannabis. Hey everyone, Brian Weber here. One of the most important rules in business is to know your numbers. Numbers are part of nearly every business school case study as they help tell a story. Where's your money coming from? Where's it going? Those are the basics. Today's story is about how one entrepreneur Searching for clues to steer a stalled business was able to read the numbers to uncover their best customers. What resulted not only saved the business, but changed an industry. Jeffrey Harris was already a successful business owner many times over. Always with an eye on the next opportunity, Jeff and a technical co-founder set up a new business to help small businesses in South Florida with their loyalty and marketing. After some early promise, sales plateaued and they met some headwinds for their industry. Not wanting to waste time on just doing okay, they were faced with a decision to close. They looked at their numbers to help understand their customers better. They noticed their two most profitable customers were actually not in their target market, but were from cannabis. Leaning in to learn more, they realized their loyalty and marketing technology is perfectly suited for cannabis consumers. A quick pivot to cannabis brought explosive growth, not only turning around the business, but changing the industry. They are now the go-to name for cannabis loyalty and marketing engagement. Please enjoy the founder's journey of Jeffrey Harris, co-founder and CEO of SpringBig. Jeffrey Harris, uh, co-founder and CEO of SpringBig. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, so you're joining us from Boca today. I know we had a, a little bit uh, pre-chat. You've had a lot of press. You guys have been in Forbes. You guys have been in Benzinga. You guys have uh, uh, new cannabis ventures all over the place. You guys have had a lot of news lately. Um, just to give our audience an update, if they don't know what SpringBig is, uh, could you give us the most recent stats on on you know what you guys do and some of the stats? Yeah, the sure.
1: So, so at a high level, SpringBig is a software company that uh, provide software to cannabis retailers and cannabis brands to help mm-hmm. them uh, design and manage their customer loyalty programs, and then through those loyalty programs, build uh, a marketable database that they can then use to market to their customers via SMS, MMS, email, etc. So, I, you know, a lot of times people call us. A, we're not really a CRM. We're more yeah. of a. I call us a loyalty and digital communication software platform.
0: Yeah, and that's your it's beyond just replacing the the punch card for coffees, you know, from from, from back in the day. It really has evolved uh to utilize a lot of the tech. You guys have been on fire recently. Um the Benzinga article or a new cannabis ventures article referenced you guys had about five million customers and, and June of 2019, and you guys were past 12 million uh, as of this January. Is, is that right?
1: Yeah, and I think we're at about 22 million now. So, yeah. um, but it, you know, I think that just speaks to the value of our software platform because mm-hmm. they're really not our consumers, obviously, right? They're really the consumers of our retail clients that. Yep. And I guess because not I guess I know be, due to the the value that our software provides, yeah. we're lucky and fortunate to secure a lot of the larger retailers uh, in the space, which obviously bring with them larger customer bases. So that's where it comes from.
0: You sell it to an MSO, and you have an immediate deployable. Correct. Base. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah. For example, we just and you know, we
1: just signed an MSO. Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, it added fifty, sixty thousand clients, right? Yeah. And then, and they, and the nice thing about what we do is because a big part of it is is getting more and more of their customers to sign up. Yep. We have a bunch of tools that help them do that, so you know we help them build their database pretty quickly too. So not only do we pick up nice database sizes, but we help them build it organically.
0: Yeah, I then work through that. So nobody wakes up, you know, after college and is like, you know what, I really want to. I want to start a loyalty company in cannabis. Yeah, yeah, um, true. there's a journey that people get through to be there and you know there's certain parts of people's personalities that that uh, pull them toward what they do in this industry. And a lot of part of this show is is really understanding the founder from a much deeper level. So I like to start off all these interviews with a brief intro, but definitely going back and the l- most i couldn't find much on your personal background the oldest thing i could find was on your linkedin that you went to yeshiva university but right. on the show we like to go even further back <laughs> okay <laughs> um and i would love to hear about your folks like where did you grow up what was your family yeah. life growing up where sure. did you uh where did where did young jeffrey start even before so that i time? grew
1: up in uh in a town uh in rockland county new york so uh, about forty-five minutes to an hour outside of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent most of my childhood there. In fact, all my childhood there. We moved there when I was three. What, what town? was uh, it? Uh, Muncie, New York, okay. was the name of the town. Um, so you know, Spring Valley is a little bit bigger, uh, and then you know, Muncie was adjacent to is adjacent to Spring Valley. It's a bit smaller. Okay. Uh, yeah my my mom actually uh, went to school and be and started a genetics business. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and two partners became. Uh, she was a genetics and a master's in genetics. She was like the counselor. They had a lab person, they had a doctor. They built a really interesting genetics business when I was growing up where, uh, they became like the genetics department of a bunch of different hospitals in okay. Queens and, and Manhattan and Long Island and things of that nature. Cause at that point in time, genetics was just really getting started. So they outsourced the genetics department. So to like a whole bunch of hospitals, they outsourced it to her, to her company. So, mm-hmm. so she was, uh, a very, you know, very successful businesswoman, and sold the business at a, at the right time, and uh, and you know, so she loved it. She had a great time. And my dad uh, actually started off as a salesman for IBM. Okay. Um,
0: which was also up then, in New York. that's a yeah, huge which New is in pack. Westchester,
1: and yeah. then after that, he you know got into. Uh, we had moved to Israel for a couple years, mm-hmm. uh, just for a different family experience, and when we came back, uh, a very good friend of his asked him to join. Uh, his vacuum cleaner bag uh, manufacturing business. So okay. he thought it was a good idea. He did it. They uh, they worked hard. They they built that business up, and then they sold it. Uh, and then the two of them bought an incentive marketing business, which is kind of like where I got my start very early on. So incentive marketing is is similar to loyalty. So it's more like think about trade. Trade marketing, right? Motivating salespeople to hit certain quotas, motivating distributors and dealers and dealer salespeople and things of that nature. Whether it be an automobile or in the and back in the day, the pharmaceutical industry or the packaged goods industry.
0: So more on the supply side than the demand side.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like if you think about like the top ten percent go to Hawaii type of thing, and you know the sales group. So you know his company built those kinds of programs for companies like Ford and and Chrysler and um, Lever Brothers and stuff like that.
0: Was that the classic Glenn Gary line, Cadillac, steak, set of steak knives and you're fired?
1: Yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I started working with him in college, and then after school, I decided yep. to go work for him full-time Okay, And I started out in the sales group. So I became like, I always tell everybody when I talk to them, I'm, I'm a salesperson by trade.
0: That's so quite, that was your, that was your first in. That was my that. first,
1: my first full-time job. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's, was your I, mom more I, on the
0: analytical side of things?
1: Uh, not me personally. So, oh, okay. yeah. I mean, I, I try to sound smart, um, yeah. but, but really I'm more of a, I mean, my forte is selling. Gotcha. Um, and understanding how to how to create opportunity and and from a sales perspective that's really what I learned how to do.
0: So you definitely gravitated to, more to your your dad's side than 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 your mom's person. Yeah, so you know,
1: yeah. yes, for sure. Yeah, she's yeah. more of the scientist and he was more of the salesperson. I was gravitated in in that in that context more to him in terms of what I learned how to do.
0: When you were growing up, um, did you have any early entrepreneurial things if you were definitely gravitating more to sales? Were you out zero nothing.
1: Zero. I mean, well, I used to love to play basketball and yeah. like I was just a normal, I was just a kid, right? Just, just playing sports and getting in trouble. Okay. <laughs> <Pretty
0: much. laughs> what, was, what were some of your early jobs? What did you gravitate to that you really resonated with you?
1: Uh, no. So when I, when I, when I started working for my dad, I started working as a, this is an interesting story. Actually, I started working as a salesperson uh, in New Jersey, which is where we were headquartered. Okay. And he was opening up an office in LA and And about three weeks before the office was actually supposed to open the person that he hired to run that office, uh, basically told him he changed his mind and he wasn't going to come aboard. So he walks into my office and he says, Jeff, what do you think about Los Angeles? I said, well, it sounds great. I've never actually been there. And he knew I had never been there. And he said, Well, pack your bags. You're moving. And I said, What? <laughs> and he said, You're gonna be the regional manager for LA.
0: I said, Okay. Um, fantastic. Was that yeah, that so was I, a tell, not a sell, right? Like he was like, Yeah, just, that was like, yeah, going. that was
1: not like he wasn't asking. He was basically saying, you know what, we we've already spent all this money to open up this office and set up this distribution system and all that other stuff, and we need someone to go out there and run it and sell it. So I moved out to LA, opened up the office, built the office up, lived there for about four years, and then we actually were at a place now where we could hire someone else to, to to continue. And he moved me back to New Jersey to to run sales nationwide.
0: And um, this was, this was for the the incentive marketing, right? Not the, the incentive marketing. Not, nothing not to do with loyalty. Bags. Okay. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and then and then a couple years later, he he made an acquisition of a company in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it doubled the size of the business, which was great, and. And we decided that we were going to make Chicago our headquarters. So we were moving the New Jersey operations to Chicago. So Mm -hmm. slowly we all started moving to Chicago. I worked on the sales side. My brother, who was also part of the business, worked on the operations side. So we all slowly moved to Chicago.
0: Um, so your brother was more like your mom then. A yeah, analytical. he was more operational. Yeah, okay. for sure. Was it just the more, two of you? Was this the whole? And uh, my whole?
1: sister as well, but she she wasn't really working there. She actually was a lawyer. She was the one who actually she was the smart one.
0: You actually got <laughs> <laughs> the advanced degree. As long um, as you followed your passions, you're all the smart ones. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent.
1: So we moved to moved to Chicago, started building that business, and I was running sales and marketing for this company. And then I had this idea of like well we already have all of these services that are in place so whether it's for incentive marketing or for loyalty all the back end services are pretty much the same so mm-hmm. i said to him, my dad i said why don't we start a loyalty division and you know and we can go after credit card companies that are running loyalty programs we can go after mostly banks that we were looking to go after at the time and he said you know what sure let's give it a go so and this was um, around when this is 96 so i found my replacement in sales okay. and marketing and I started up this loyalty division. It was me and one other guy that I plucked from another area of the company. And we started it up and we started making a little bit of traction. And then, you know, nothing ever goes as planned. And then about a year later, um, he had part, an opportunity though, right? to sell the business, oh, okay. uh, which was a nice opportunity for him. So, you know, I told him, yeah, you should definitely sell it for sure. It's a good opportunity. And I also asked him, I said, listen, this business at the time was doing less than $2 million a year. Okay. I said, can we spin, can you see during the sale if we could spin this division out and I'll just take it and run with it. And he got that done. He was a pretty good salesman too. So he got that done. And and then effective you, don't 90- this, you don't
0: want this extra little pit here. Yeah, yeah you know, pretty, you, you pretty much want it meat. was like two,
1: th- two million just losing money. What do you need it for? <laughs> um, and so like in 98, we became our own independent company. The name of that company is called InteQ. That's, you'll also find that on LinkedIn for gotcha, me. yeah,
0: yeah,
1: um, So that was a loyalty marketing company, but that's more of an agency um, mm-hmm. where it's, yes, we do a lot of software work. You have to in the loyalty business because there's a lot of data management, yeah. as, you, as you mentioned, but it was more of an agency model. So if you were kind of replace advertising with loyalty marketing, that's kind of like what the business looks like, right? You have a lot of staff that's servicing customers and, um, we answer phones,
0: but in a lot, it was probably a lot less self-service. Correct. Then, as it it's is today. mostly man- it's
1: mostly managed services. It's yeah. a lot of analytics, a lot of data management, a lot of IT, uh, a lot of marketing support. You know so- to help you know, clients get the most out of their, you know, loyal customers, get the most business out of the loyal
0: customers. So when customers would call up and if they were calling like Citibank or, you know, whoever was some of your clients, you guys would be answering the phone Correct. as you were that client, but it would be just Correct. totally outsourced division to you guys. Correct. 100%. Gotcha. What were some of the, um? you know, it's so funny, like to roll back. And, you know, I graduated high school uh, in 97 and like just thinking of what technology was at that time, what were some of the challenges in dealing with, with big data in, in, I wouldn't even call that early IT, but like that time, like,
1: Oh, it just, yeah, for sure. Like it was, you know, this, the, what, what the system, what the technology could do then, um, was probably a 10th of what the, of the technology can do now. So there was more, more manual support. There were more people involved. Things were slower, Uh, there was a lot more of think about just information being generated in an email to people versus people just being able to log on and just visualize their data and how they want it organized. Um, There's just so many, so many differences. And, and, you know, but the, but a lot of those bigger clients, even though they probably could do it themselves if they wanted to, but that's not what they're expert in. So they don't want to, right. So they're going to outsource it to a company like us and you know, and and we have some nice brand names, and we're. I'm still. I'm not involved in that business day to day, but I'm still yeah. the owner of gotcha. that company, and and you know, and and it's great because I get to see what a lot of the big retailers are doing outside of cannabis, which yeah. helps inform me on some of the things we should be doing here.
0: Which yeah, is there are some parallels that you could take away from oh,
1: that. There's so many. Par- I mean, retail's yeah. retail, right? So it doesn't really matter what the industry is. So mm-hmm. I mean, there are some unique components of what's going on in cannabis, but. So much of it is transferable from cannabis to non-cannabis and back, right? Mm-hmm. So, so having that having that additional data point is hugely important to to me. To you, that's just,
0: informing some of the future trends that this industry very likely. Let's just fast forward. Sure. Let's say it becomes deschedulized, You know, and it becomes you know just equivalent to liquor or some other controlled substance that's out and there. And I think
1: that's that's a great analogy and you yeah, know yeah. similar to liquor, which I yeah, think yeah. is. Uh, which is going to be the case.
0: So those were some good lessons that you learned there of seeing large industry trends, working with larger customers, seeing what those demands were for that.
1: Yeah, as well as also servicing larger customers, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, this, this, our industry, this industry, you know, you have a lot of single store, two store chains, but you have more and more of the larger client, right? Yeah. And having the experience of having to sell and service a larger client has been hugely beneficial to us uh, in terms of how to support them.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. What, what prompted you guys to look at pivoting into cannabis? And I don't want to fast yeah. forward too much um, you know with sure. that. I mean, because we don't want we got a few decades to, to go over here. but oh yeah, sure. So yeah. what happened
1: was so I had started hiring a management team at my other business, which was pulling me out of the day-to day more and more um, and as they kept doing better, I kept saying, okay, I'm going to leave them alone because why would I want to mess it up? Right. They're doing well. So yeah, why would I want to screw it? Yeah. Just, yeah. Get out of the way. Um, you know, people don't want like some part-time guy, you know, popping in there and parachuting in and like, you know, messing up their whole system that they got running. So I said, that's okay, a, time for me to move on.
0: Who taught so, you that lesson, by the way, that's not ah. always an easy one to, uh, to learn. With no, it was founders. kind
1: of, you know, it was kind of, uh, I'm I'm sure my dad to some extent, but also yeah. I got to, it's kind of, you know, common sense. What I, I do try to pride myself on, you know, being, you know, looking at what makes sense from a common sense standpoint and trying to listen to what the common sense tells you. And when you have really, really smart people that, you know, and you could see the things that they're doing that I wasn't able to do. I said, you know what, I'm just going to let these guys go. Right. Yeah. And then, and, you know, I'm here to help them if they need help, but, I'm here to check in with them on a regular basis to make sure things are going the way they have. They told me they were going to go. But other than that, let them do their thing. Um, so we had started Spring Big in 2014, not for cannabis. We actually started it for small business, for the yogurt shop, the pizza shop, the nail salon, the hair salon. And I wanted to do it a little bit differently. So I wanted to do it from a software vantage point versus a service versus an agency vantage point. Mm-hmm. So we kicked the business. And I was living in Florida at the time. We had moved to Florida. So I was living in Florida at the time. And I said, all right, let's get this thing going. So we I took my CTO from IntiQ, who wanted to move down to Florida anyway. I said, okay, you want to change the pace too? He came over with me. Mm-hmm. He had the technology built, um, the first evolution of the technology. And we went ahead and started selling it here in South Florida. And we picked up a few hundred accounts, you know, within a year, year and a half, relatively short period of time. And you're
0: you're focusing on super small. Yeah. So we're focusing on the individual yogurt shop, the individual
1: diner, guys like that. And
0: that must've been very different from selling to Citibank or
1: Very different. And I wasn't doing the selling. I was kind of, we were hiring the salespeople and letting them do it. Um, And then What we found as we kept growing, you know, the initial phase of growth is always really exciting. And, and, but then what we found too, that we were running into a couple of problems. One problem we were running into was that the amount we could charge per month was just not, and we were, we could charge between a hundred and $200 a month. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, for us to make this thing really successful, we're going to need 10,000 clients, right? Like, you know, it's like, you know, we're going to need a lot of clients, right? To do this. And which led to the second problem, which is in a lot of these small businesses, the owner is not in the shop very much. Yeah. You know, they have service people in the shop, right? The person that usually serves you your frozen yogurt is not the owner. Yeah. Um, and the owner may have, you know, two frozen yogurt shops. They may have another shop and they're running around from shop to shop. And they may be there a couple hours a day, if that much. And, you know, but they're the only ones who are making the financial decisions. So we could it was hard for us to get to the decision maker to buy the service that we were offering. So I'm fast forwarding now to 2016 and you know, we were plateauing a bit. I wasn't seeing the growth as fast as we would like it to, as we would like. And I said, okay, what are we going to do here? Right. Cause I'm not doing this just to, you know, tread water to, you know, I'm doing this if we're to make it exciting. So, you know, we were deciding whether we're going to honestly close the business or, uh, you know, do something else. And when we did an inventory of all of our clients, there were two uh, medical cannabis stores, right? So medical marijuana dispensaries that were spending over a thousand dollars a month. And we looked into it a bit deeper and we realized the reason why they're spending so much more is because they want to communicate with their customers so much more frequently than a yogurt shop or a pizza shop and stuff like that. So we had looked into it. We had researched the industry. Um, Our family actually had invested in Uh, In a in a medical cannabis company out of Chicago because we had some ties in Chicago, I'd contacted a couple of the guys from that company, talked to them about what our software did and and what they thought about us pivoting into cannabis. And you know, we got thumbs up from pretty much everybody we spoke to. They said, you know, at the time there was one company that was by far the leader in the business. Baker Technologies was the leader in the business at the time, and they said, listen, there's this company Baker out there, but you know, there's room for more than one company. There
0: there can be Coke and Pepsi and they could do amazing. Yeah, with Coke and Pepsi, I use Lyft and
1: Uber, right? There's always like, and I always say to people, I said, if I'm Lyft, um, if I'm Uber, I'm really happy. If I'm Lyft, I'm also really happy. Either one, I'm really happy. You're doing fine. Yeah, so we, you know, so we made the decision that we were going to pivot to cannabis uh, effective after New Year's break of December 16. So we left, I don't know, December 20th, whenever it was, December 22nd for the holiday. We came back January second, January third. We said, "Okay, that's it. We are only focused on cannabis stores. We are not focused on. We're not going to throw anybody off the platform that's on it. But we're not selling. We're not going to sell one new yogurt if shop. Anybody pitches
0: me a froyo in here, you're fired. Right? If I
1: see a new froyo <laughs> store, <laughs> you're out here. Um, and and you know, and it, it was 2017. So now, yeah. what we're talking almost four years ago. And it was like, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it was really long ago. And it, it was just so much green pasture.
0: You're in a sea of, you know, a ton of Me Too's, even with some of your unique software offerings. That was such a crazy decision that you came to. What was it like, you know, I mean, I know you said you spoke to some friends, was your, your decision process really just like that? It was like we're gonna close or we're gonna go to cannabis. And like, was that it? What did that like decision look like?
1: It was pretty much it because like I was self-funding the business pretty much. We had some small outside friends and family investors, but mm that money had come in already and we weren't asking, and I didn't feel right asking for new investment because I didn't really know the direction of the business. Right. So yeah. I didn't think it was the nice thing to do to, to go to friends and family and say, Hey, listen, <laughs> I know you invested once or there's new guys and, but I'm not really sure if this thing's going to go. So yeah. you want to give me money. It didn't feel good to you me. You can't so, go in
0: there with confidence.
1: No. Yeah. And <laughs> I just felt like, you know, I wouldn't put my money into that kind of opportunity. So why would I ask anybody else to put their money? But it was our business. It was our business. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do it for a bit longer. There was just something, it was was really weird. There was just something inside that said, you know, I think we got something here. I think we got something here. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I think we got something here. That was kind of like that little voice in my head talking and telling me that. and, And when we finally looked at these, at the analysis and we saw these two cannabis stores and I spoke to these friends of mine who said, Jeff, you don't understand. There's just like, you know, thousands of stores that are going to be opened up and there's like very little competition in this Mm -hmm. space. I said, okay, we're going to try it. And then
0: we pivoted the business and you you lose, you lose a year and some extra money. Like, you know, what's the worst case scenario? it It was a
1: shot, right? It was, we had already invested so much money, right? It was a shot of investing a little bit more to see if it worked. And, and, you know, I guess, right decision, good timing Um, you know, also where, you know, I think we're, we know how to run a business like this. You know, we, we just needed to find, you know, what's the pathway to get customers right in a, in a productive way. And that started happening pretty fast. So to the point that, you know, fast forwarding to like November of 17, you know, we had built, we probably had over a hundred customers in less than a year. In nine months. Yeah. It was like, we were getting 10, 12 a month. Right. So we had like a hundred customers, and that allowed us to start going out to the outside world to raise some money, which uh, which we did. Which was our first, what I'll call our first like real outside round. So we had we had one other after I like July after I saw that it was starting to really go, we raised a half a million dollars from friends and family. But I felt comfortable because I thought this thing was going. And then four or five months later, we raised two point seven million dollars. It was great. And then. And then that was really the takeoff point because we had a plan of attack of what we wanted to do. And we knew exactly where we would spend the money. Yep. Uh, we basically spent it in three areas, right? Development, IT, marketing, and sales. That's mm-hmm. the, basically what we did. Um, and we just continued to take off. And so, you know, and now looking back, I said, wow, I just can't, I can't believe it. But, um, but that was, that 2017 was probably one of my most fun years of work ever. It was Cause so that's much what fun. you were
0: hoping for originally when you, when you guys were down there and you're like, this is just, we're, we're tackling this from a different perspective and we need to see these kind of returns on that. So
1: it was just a lot of fun. It was just like, you know, you, you know, like you put, you put stuff on the whiteboard, like, and, you know, very rarely does most of it happen. <laughs> and 2017 was one of those years. Like most of the stuff you put on that whiteboard, it was happening. It was just like, wow, this is great.
0: <laughs> and you must have felt like you got the dragon's tail at that point. Yeah, it was yeah, fun. And, and you're riding on that. What was some of your secret sauce when you were going out into, you know, these customers? Like, what did that value proposition look like for those early um, stages? Were you... Yeah. Yeah, well, so
1: probably our big, you know, our uh, one of our big categories of secret sauce very early on was the understanding of the integrations with the POS. You just mentioned it a little while ago. Um, like we knew from our other business that, you know, in order to really, for loyalty to really be successful, it has to be integrated with the POS. You have to, you know, having those tablets on the side of the counter are just... Nobody wants that. Yeah, I mean, they look cool and, you know, but it's just not a, it's not a viable, long-term viable strategy to do that. So... I remember we were going out to NCIA in Oakland in June of 17. And and at the time, you know, GreenBits was one of the major POS players in our space at the time. And yeah. I just, I kept bothering their CEO until he gave me a meeting. And, and we drove out to San Jose and we had a meeting and uh, that meeting went well to the point where he agreed to integrate. And our first POS integration was GreenBits in November of 17.
0: Nine months in. You know, between no froyo and you got your yeah. first integration right first there. integration and that was a
1: takeoff point because you know they were very you know Green was super strong in the Northwest which was yeah. a very strong cannabis market to begin with Oregon Washington those markets and and then what we did is so we integrated November 17 and then we hired our first full-time salesperson in Washington in January of 18. And with this integration that nobody else had other than us, it was just take, we just took off there. And, and Washington is still, if not our strongest market, one of our strongest markets for sure. Um, so integrations was what was really it. And now we integrate with 17 point of sales. So that's really, and other companies have followed us. They yeah. have uh, they have now learned that it makes sense to integrate, which is fine, which makes sense, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But we were by far first, and, and I think our integration is by far the strongest. So that's a real secret sauce component for us.
0: Yeah. What was um, some of the other tech? I mean, I know customer engagement and reaching out to people can be a very tricky subject as far as opt-outs and as far as the right balance of, you know, I am one to like turn off all notifications unless you are really valuable to me. Um, how do you? How does your tech help customers find that right balance there?
1: Yeah, so we we provide them with a lot of segmentation. So hopefully, you know, if we're if we're training our clients correctly and they're using the software correctly. They are. Not, it's not one size fits all, right? So they're sending messages to subsets of their database based on what's most relevant to those that group of customers. So we give them a lot of opportunity, but also cannabis is a bit different. Like yeah. you know, they you know, the cannabis consumer is a very deal hungry consumer. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they under, I think the cannabis consumer has figured out that there's a lot of competition, uh, and cannabis retailers are vying for their for their visit um, and they're putting out a lot of promotion so so a lot you know a, a lot of the most customers as long as you are giving them content in those messages that um, is interesting to them to your point right and, and what I'll say interesting interesting in this world right now are what's the deal today <laughs> what's the offer today um, if they're if they're getting that they're not opting out. I mean, like you will have in Las Vegas, you have much bigger opt-outs in Vegas because you have people, you know, pre uh, the pandemic that we're dealing with, you know, people would go to Vegas for four days or five days, right? And they would go to a store and they'd sign up for their, you know, their marketing program because for the next four days, they want to see what deals are there, right? And then they go home. And then they, they get that you know, next text Vegas and they anymore. say, you know what, I'm going to opt out of this thing and I'll opt back in when I go back, right? Yeah, what do I yeah. need to get my Vegas text when I'm in Chicago or New York or wherever else I am? Um, but like, you know, Washington, Oregon, California, Florida. Florida is a huge, a huge marketing uh, state when it comes to Maryland. You know, they're... And every, what I found interesting is every state, because in our, in our industry, you know, it's a state by state situation. Mm-hmm. It's not a, cause it's not federally legal. Every state has its own culture, its own personality when it comes to marketing. Like, yeah. you know, Florida has a personality of, you know, two, three, four times a week. I'm going to market to my customers, Arizona, Washington, Maryland are three every day, seven days a week. Wow. They market them. Yeah, it's, huh. un, it's, it's wow. It's and like those are
0: things that you learned over time. Yeah,
1: yeah. They and you know what ha- and you know normally what happens is you have like you know one of our clients in Maryland, you know, started like this daily texting program, and then their competition started to do it, and now everybody does it. And lucky for us, we have about eighty five percent share market in Maryland. So we <laughs> there's a lot of texting going on in Maryland. Same thing in Washington. <laughs> Like, you know, so what you find is you find successful stores, like stores that want to get ahead of everybody, um, they'll start doing something interesting or what they consider interesting. And then they're the, you know, the managers or the owners of the other stores get their messages and they start saying, well, how come I'm getting their mess I want a message. Right. And then, you know, their store starts sending messages. And then and it just, it just snowballs downhill and where everyone starts sending messages. Yeah,
0: it's great. During that 2017 timeframe, those nine months, what was your, what were some of the decisions around like your go-to-market, like pricing strategy? Um, and, and obviously, you signed up, you know, a thousand, you know. Uh, yeah,
1: it's, it's uh, we we learned as we went, right? Because I never ran a SaaS company before, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of learning for us. So originally, it was a pay-as-you-go pricing model, and then. And then we switched Was
0: it just like a monthly per customer kind of deal? Yeah.
1: Well, actually just pay for the text you use. Just pay, you know, you get the okay. software, pay for the text you use. And then after a little while, um, you know, guys that had invested that were smarter than me on SaaS, they said, Jeff, you need a subscription model, right? That so we switched to a subscription model where they paid a monthly fee and they got X amount of text in that fee, and then they could always use more there. text and yeah. either bump up the the, the package or they could use more text and pay a la carte for the additional text. And then, but we were doing that on a month to month deal. We didn't have contracts. And then one of our guys said, um, Jeff, you need contracts. Like you want to lock them in
0: for 12 months. Is this all is it within one? this nine month period? Yeah.
1: Really. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, all within this nine months. Yes. Okay, so this is a lot. <laughs> so we, we went, we went from a per text fee yeah. to a monthly, you know, subscription package, no contract to contract all within like seven months. Oof. Yeah. And, and, and then we started and and we started seeing, you know what people are going to buy it. Right. Yeah. Like I was always like, we're the new guy in town. Are they going to buy it? They were buying it. I said, okay, let's go. And, and we just actually, it's funny. We just changed our pricing this month. Um, You know, I think for the third, maybe the third time. So we we don't change our pricing that often.
0: You you calm down after that. You're like, okay, let's let's just just stop.
1: But we added so many features that we said, you know what, you know, there's more value here. So we want to, you know, just modify our price a little bit. So we changed. But yeah, that that's what I'm saying. 2017 was a crazy year, just in terms of you know growth, in terms of learning for me. Right, I just learned so much that year, and and I as a like, as an individual business person, I always say, hey, if there are people that are willing to help you, take the help. Like, yeah. you don't have to do everything everybody says, but why wouldn't you take the time to listen to someone who knows better than you? Um, and, and, you know, and we, we're very fortunate that we have some really smart, really smart advisors, really yeah. smart board, really smart advisors that help us.
0: That was actually my next, you know, it's always a great founder's question that I want to know is, like, during that time frame. you obviously... you, you, you caught something and you knew that you caught something that's super hot. How did you bring in that? I mean, you're on fire. Things are growing crazy. How do you bring in that team during that time that you're just so insanely busy and, and, and have those people there?
1: Uh, so I like, I think it's relationships, right? So like one of the guys that invested in the friends and family round introduced me to a fund that, this is another story that was the fund was going to lead our seed round. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the last minute they had to back out because one of their limited partners didn't want them investing in cannabis tech. So, mm-hmm. but as funny as that goes. So the guy calls me up, he says, Jeff, I'm really sorry. Um, we can't submit the term sheet. And I said, Oh, you, I was so upset. <laughs> so, so like, Oh really? Cause like they were the perfect partner. This guy was great. Um, we had worked on it for months. Right. So it was like, but he said to me, but don't, don't fret. And then literally um, a week and a half later, one of, his other, one of the fund's other limited partners calls me up and says, hi, I heard you're, you know, you're looking for someone to lead around in cannabis tech, let's talk. Now this guy was a very, very successful um, entrepreneur and he had his own fund that, as well. And literally after two phone calls, the guy said, okay, Jeff, do me a favor take out the fund's name, put my name, send me the term sheet, I'll sign it.
0: Copy, paste. Wow. Unbelievable.
1: Like, like you can't make this stuff up. It's like, now, and the guy who was who was our key contact at the fund that unfortunately had it back out is now yep. our chairman, by the way.
0: Oh, interesting. So got was, it, we
1: got him involved. They did still
0: find a way to get him in. Okay.
1: Yeah, we got him in. He was yeah. like, you know, and he's so bummed because, like, the valuation he was going to get in, in November seventeenth to now is yeah. like he's like Jeff. I'm. Uh, uh, he says not only him but his partners kill, kick themselves every day.
0: Even the uh, even the one that did, it was the holdout.
1: Well, it wasn't. It was a limited partner. It wasn't one of their. It was like one of the investors who was investing government money at the time, uh, okay. and they didn't want to. They didn't want to do it. Um, but no. So so. I got to them from one of our, one of our friends and family guys. And then he got me to other guys.
0: You're turning lemons into lemonade and just kind of. just
1: relationships, right? I think most people are nice, are well-intended uh, yeah. to help you, right? So just ask. If you don't ask, you won't get the help for sure. Ask, take the help um, and see where it goes, right? You don't always know where it's going to go. Um, so now we've built a great board and a great advisory group all from, you know, some of the relationships that we built early in 17.
0: So I want to go back to the timeline on that one. So it's fall of 2017, things are rip roaring. You guys have your first seed round that you guys have, you guys have run. What does it look like from then, you know, moving forward? So that
1: allowed us to, obviously, with that money, that allowed us to hire a whole bunch of people. Um, and we were spending it, like we were spending the money and it's fun. It's interesting. So we're continuing to grow, which continuing to spend. So now we're in the summer, we're in, in the early summer of 18, mm-hmm. and I see, okay, we got about five months worth of money left based on what's going on here. So I said, okay, time to go raise some more money. So the I, our PR agency at the time, uh, Mateo Communications, that yep. we were working with since early seventeen. You know, one of the benefits of working with a company like that is like Rosie uh, is, you know, she knows a lot of people too. And so I said, Rosie, okay, I need help. I need, I need a couple of people to go after to, to lead our next round. So, you know, she helped me and some other people helped me. We ended up like talking to two funds. I said, I'm going to just talk to two because um, I thought we had a great story. So mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to two. We got two term sheets. We picked one um, and it's interesting. So the the lead investor for our our A round, our next round, was Altitude Investments, a New York fund. Uh, mm-hmm. Some great, great, great guys. And and I remember we we signed the term sheet. I think at the end of September, early October. And and I said to them, I said, guys, we got to close November thirtieth. And they said, why? I said, well, because I don't want to go into the holidays with this. I just want it done. Let's it's just done. get it done. Don't ruin the and and, and 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 the lead guy who is uh, John Traubin, who's on our board, who was a lead guy, was like very supportive. And guess what? We closed on November 30th. That was it done. And
0: you've been and, like manifesting just left and right.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was just so lucky. And, you know, so we, we raised $5 million, which was nice. Um, which again, gave us more firepower to continue to grow. And, and eight and then 18 and I mean, 19 was just, a rocket ship year. So
0: you keep having these hockey sticks here.
1: Yeah. We had like, I think from November, from December of 18 to January of 20, mm -hmm. I think we grew like 500% in that 14 months. Yeah. It was crazy.
0: You've never experienced growth like that in any of your prior companies. Never, never. I mean, this is a great problem to have. But how did you manage that as a, as a founder and also as the as the CEO here? because like, it's a it's a different skill set to get into, and you're also in a different like SaaS based industry. You got a lot of difference going yeah. on.
1: The decision we made early on is we were going to overinvest in people. Um, so we like I remember in my other business I was always where to do that right. I was always where to overinvest. We would invest as we needed it, yeah. and you inevitably you know are late when you were investing as you need it. So I said, you know what? We're going to just overinvest. So we over-invested in client success. We over-invested in tech. Uh, so we really overinvested. So we were ready for the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, we had another spike actually this year. You know, we continue to spike. So, you know, so we had to keep hiring where I think, you know, our HR person told me that we're going to be hitting like 100 people here in like the next couple of weeks. Like we're at wow. 90 people already. And, but I think the key to answer your question is we overinvested in people, and and we have a very interesting model in terms of how we hire. Um, you know, every every candidate meets at least six people here. Okay, um, two for skills, four for culture, um, and we try really hard. Four for culture, two for skills two for skills, four for culture, more for, you know, we want to make sure they can do the job, right? But that that doesn't take a ton of people to make sure you can do the job, right? But we also wanted to make sure that they were going to be a good fit for the company, right? Like they were going to like it here Mm -hmm. and the people are going to like working with them. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, an, you know, an off, like a business is a community, just like any other community. And you want to know that you're going to enjoy the community that you're living in or working in. And, and that's the way we look at it. So we want to make sure that you know, the person coming in knows what they're getting into, who the type of people they'd be working with, and the people that are interviewing the person know, okay, yeah, this person is going to be a great fit. And we we don't hit home runs every time, but we hit them most of the time.
0: When did that come about? I mean, obviously, you've you know, we touched on early in the interview that you were been very good about um, delegating and hire good people and let them do their job. And, you know, if they start having issues, help them. And if they start having more issues, then help them find something else they might be good at and and get the right people in. When did that come about, that interviewing style? Was that from some of the people that were on your board? Was that something that you've been doing for a long time? How did that
1: so So we, we made a decision, um, pretty early on here at Spring Big because we had made a couple of mistakes very early on, on hiring. And part of the reason I think we made the mistakes, well, we didn't have enough people meet them. So, you know, so I said, you know what? We just got to have a lot more people meet them. That's it. Like, you know, it, you know, two people can meet them at the same time, right? So we don't have to just take a ton of
0: time. Yeah, here's, here, here's half a day.
1: Yeah, but, we, <laughs> but I want more people to meet them, right? And then I want everybody who met them, you know, to give us a thumbs up or thumbs down. Now, it doesn't mean that we need a 100% thumbs up. But we need a consensus on every, if we don't get consensus on every person, we pass. Gotcha. So, and it's, it's worked out really well. And, you know, now this is a place that people want to come to work at, which is kind of cool, right? Like, like we just, you know, put a couple of job postings this morning. We already have 150 resumes for these jobs. So, yeah. So it's a, you know, here in South Florida, if you're in the South Florida, if you want to be working in the tech community in South Florida, we are now one not the only one, obviously, but we're one of the names uh, yeah. that people are looking at and wanna That's, and
0: want to look at. From a founder's perspective, to have to manage such immense, quick growth uh, has got to be very interesting. How have you come to find the cannabis industry? Because it, it is such a unique industry, but I, mean, I know there's some parallels to alcohol. But how have you come to find? servicing that industry and working with with those customers, especially as you've been focusing, I think, largely on on larger dispensary operations.
1: Yeah, but there are like, you know, there are different categories of customers, right? You and you have everything from what I'll call the unsophisticated mom and pop mm-hmm. to the very sophisticated MSO, right? So and but you'll find sophisticated mom and pop. You'll find Unsophisticated small chain, sophisticated small chain. <laughs> so you have a lot of different personalities, um, you know, and types of businesses um, in the cannabis industry. Um, I find um, there, I find I find people in cannabis retail, in particular, to be very, very overwhelmed. A lot. I think there's a lot of moving parts for them. Yeah. Um, there's more moving parts in a cannabis retailer than it would be in a non-cannabis retailer when it comes to inventory, inventory management, reporting state that, you know, so there's more stuff happening. Um, and, and, you know, some, some of them do it really, really well. And if staffed up correctly, some of them don't do it so well. So, yeah. so uh, the, so I think it's, it's a little less wild West than it was a couple of years ago, yeah. but it is still wild West and, Just. and you have to be prepared Ah, uh, to interact and deal with very a lot of different types of personalities. Usually, in the non-cannabis space, if you're working with a certain segment of customers, yes, everyone has their unique personality, but they're pretty much going to be the same.
0: If you're selling into ADP or paychecks, they're going to be like you're going to get a similar person at that at that role that you're. Yeah, and,
1: and you know they're structured. They're structured in a certain way. They have the right kind of talent in place. You know, here, you know, part of the issue is some of the stores, especially from a marketing standpoint, some of our clients. Have invested in marketing talent, but a lot have not. And, you know, so we're working to try to get someone who's not a marketer to understand how to best leverage our software to market to yep. customers. So that's why our client success team is so important. We have a, we have like a 15, maybe even a 20 person team now. And, yep. you know, and they are really working with these clients to help them. There's a lot more hand holding. Yep. I guess this would probably be the net of it. There's a lot more hand holding for a software business in cannabis than there would be
0: outside of cannabis. That's what I'm seeing. Yep. That was I was trying to get to a net on that one. And that actually that affects how you build your company and also really largely affects how you build your your software and how to to automate those. So that actually kind of led into my next question of like as you're deving you're learning the market, you're reaching out to your customers, you're finding different segmentation within your customers. What were some of the pivot points and growth points throughout from like 2018 up until current that really have influenced some of your build uh, and your team development on that? So I know you guys are big in, you know, obviously loyalty, but you got the campaign messaging and then automation to to remove some of that burden from some of those mm-hmm. overwhelmed people. What were some of those pivot points?
1: So I think, um, you know, so I, I, what we have today, you know, the, what I'll call the core functionality of the platform today was really envisioned, you know, by people within Springbok, right? Mm-hmm. Both whether how loyalty is going to work, how messaging, how automation was going to work, and and but now, so we built those cornerstone components of the platform. But over time, what ends up happening is your clients are kind of dictating a lot of the new features that you're going to add to those components because. Mm-hmm. They're coming to you and saying, "Hey, wouldn't it be great if I had this? Or wouldn't it be great if I had that?" And not every idea is great, but a lot of their ideas are winners, right? You know, they—they're the users, right? They—they know what they need. So you know, we—you know—so we kind of have this interesting mix of our product development team that's working on kind of what I'll call stuff that is future that we haven't heard about from clients, but we're also that's about 50% of our kind of evolution. And then the other 50% are clients that are coming to us saying, wow, it would be great if I, if this thing would do this. And and we have a nice mix. So I think you know for us, the big pivot point was probably in uh, mid-19 when we started pivoting from most of it being thought through and generated in-house to where it's about 50-50 between what we're kind of coming up with versus what clients are coming up with. And, and one of the things we get good scores for is, you know, clients say we listen. And I think that that's really important because, you know, at, at, as the clients get bigger, like, you know, either you're going to listen to what they need or they're going to go somewhere else.
0: They're going to find somebody else who is listening. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or, or they'll do it themselves or whatever. Right. So I just feel like it's really important for us as, because that's, what's going to end up happening in this industry. You know, the big guys, not every big guy, but the big guys are going to buy the small guys. That's what's going to end up happening here. So you have to make sure that our bigger clients understand that we are all ears on what they need. And not only are we all ears, but we'll get it done for them.
0: It's important to find that balance and be able to filter those things in. Uh, And I've worked with a number of companies that don't. Uh, (laughs) um, As you've been growing out over the past few years, obviously COVID has changed some consumer buying preferences and habits. Where do you see taking spring big through 2020 and beyond? And I know you have a a brands platform and then also a larger reporting platform or some things I saw in, in the research that we're doing. Tell me a little bit more about those and, and like some of the roadmaps that you see for, for, for where you're going to take this.
1: Yeah. So our next, our next big thing is our brands platform. And, and we actually started working on it in February of 2019 is when we started working on it. And, and here was, here's why we started working on it. So brands were coming, starting to come to us saying, Hey, can we get on your platform? And we would say, sure. Um, but, tell me about your database. Uh, Well, we really don't have a database yet, right? They haven't built a database yet because in our industry, it's difficult for brands to connect directly with consumers. They don't have the same tools that they have outside the industry. I said, So we said, okay, let us think about how to help you do that. And then we had retailers coming to us saying, you know what? This industry is getting more and more competitive. I have to spend more and more money on your platform, which is great for us. But they're saying, is there anything you could do to help us on managing our marketing budgets a bit better. And we said, ah, we, see, we saw a connection. So the idea was, we said, how about if we give brands the ability to serve up content, their content to our retail clients? And if our retail clients actually take that content and include it in their messaging to the consumer, the retailer will get a discount on their message, and the brand gets their content delivered directly into the smartphone of the consumer from a trusted source, from the retailer
0: right? So you get a third party win on all that.
1: Yeah. So instead of the brand having to work around the retailer and building up their own database, they just work through the retailer, like with the retailer. And we, we literally did a hundred interviews with brands and retailers to, to fine tune, you know, okay, retailers, what would you find valuable brands? What would you find valuable? And we, and we got it to a point where we thought we had nailed it, where we understood the value prop for both sides. We launched it in beta in the, probably the worst month ever, which was March, March of 2020, yeah. is when we launched it in beta. But we say, you know, let's just go. Let's just launch it. It's beta anyway. We're just here to learn. You know, we just, yeah, we just, we picked five brands and a few retailers and so let's just do it. And and we learned a lot in the three-month beta. And, and now, and we launched it in Colorado and California first in June. And then we just launched it in Washington uh, as well. And and September now, just to give you an idea, in the first week of September, we did more brands revenue than we did the whole month of August. So it's, it's trending the way up. Okay. And, and what's really exciting about it um, is that, you know, that gets back to that 22 million reach that we talked about. Like mm. one of the differentiators, one of our secret sauce components for brands is our reach, right? We just have so many consumers on the database. So when a, reach, when a brand wants to get their message to consumers, there's no better place to come to than us. Yeah. And if they want to get their message in the smart, in the text feed of the smartphone of the customer, we're the only guys who can do it for them. So, so we have some big names like, you know, PAX and Flocana and CannaCraft. And, you know, we have some guys, you know, we have like 35, 40 brands on the platform growing every day, which they're saying, wow, what a, what a gift, right? Like yeah. they can finally get their message directly to the cannabis consumer. Uh, they know they're active. They know they, they spend money directly to them. And then the is saying, wow, if I, if I take one of these brand campaigns every week, I'm going to reduce my budget, my cost by X because yeah. we give them the
0: message for free. So, so everybody's helping everybody on that.
1: Yeah. One. Everybody's helping everybody else out. So that's like a big push for us. And I actually talked talking about the analogy to liquor. I actually think brands will have more money to spend than retailers over time mm-hmm. in our industry, where most of the marketing money in liquor alcohol goes is from the brand, not as much from the retailer. I think the same thing will happen here.
0: Yeah, we're walking any liquor store, and it's it's you know you see the the see that brand advertising there, so they're following that model.
1: So that's our bi- That's our next big. That's our next big thing. Yeah. Um. And then, and that's what we're really focused on. And then yep. the third thing is we are creating a whole data hub for for clients where they actually can, you know, for the larger, more sophisticated clients where they can actually access their data hub pull any data they want in, they get visualization tools and things of that nature, which I think is going to be very exciting because we're pulling in all this data from the point of sale and we have the ability to combine the POS data with the what I'll call the promotional response data mm-hmm. so they could see not only a customer that buys but what affected that buy who's right responsive. And, yeah. and use that so those are but, but brands is our, our, is our next big thing.
0: Gotcha. Which, which you're currently rolling out. I mean, that's been rolling Correct. out since since March. And since it's, March. it's weird because it's like a skewed data time. You know, like everything's a little weird right now. Right. Uh, but you're doing that. I know you guys just announced, um, which I think was going to be your hopefully last round of funding. You had... Mm-hmm. Um, Eleven point five was it? Eleven point five million. Eleven point five million, yeah. And that was in in August. Is that to fund some of these initiatives right now? Uh, yeah. To, to really get those off the ground, because I'm assuming it's a tremendous amount of dev time into those.
1: Yeah. So we're we have a pretty big dev. We've got a 25 person dev team, but we're adding, I think, about eight people, yeah. um, nine people. Um, but yeah, I think so. That money was meant to be hopefully the last round of funding that we that we need, and it's primarily to drive our brands platform uh, as well as to have for future. And we have some additional, some new ideas that we're working on that we wanted to have the funds available without having to go back to the market to raise it. So, so we thought that this was more than enough for us to, to get it. It was, it's not, it's not as much as a traditional series B, right? When you see series B rounds, you usually see them 18, 20, 30, 35, but we didn't need it. So like, you know, why go, why raise it if you don't need it? And, uh, and, and so that's what we decided. We got a great partner. TVC Capital is a great partner. They are, uh, they're a SaaS fund. They're not really a cannabis fund. They, we were their second cannabis investment, but Mm -hmm. they've done like 30 investments, all SaaS. Right. So, so speaking about that continued learning, right. Of how do we, as a SaaS company continue to get better and better, uh, they're a great partner to help us do that.
0: Gotcha. So they can advise you along those lessons that other past companies have learned on that one. This has been a very eye-opening interview. I'm glad I got to know a little bit more about you in, in the past and your background and what led you to get into such a very unique space here. Some closing questions I always have for everybody is like, is there anything that you need from the universe right now?
1: Anything we need from
0: you? I know it's such an open-ended question, but um, what would make your life better if this one thing came through? Hmm, great question.
1: Uh, you know, I think, like, I think, you know, when you
0: talk about what we've all been dealing with in the
1: last few months, uh, life's not been normal. And, and although our business, you know, has not been terribly affected, actually we've continued to grow during this period of time. I feel like a a dose of normal would be great. Like um, to your point, I just feel like the, the consumer, although they continue to purchase cannabis product, but, but the, the, the system that has been built where customers can come into the store, they can learn, they could try, they could research, a lot of that has gone by the wayside over the last few months, right? Where yeah. people are not comfortable coming in, so they're purchasing what they know, but they're not seeing all the new and interesting products that are out there. So, to me, it, listen, I, I hopefully it'll come soon. But yeah. to me, what what would help us, you know, would be a dose of normal. I think getting back to normal would be the thing that I, I mean, the thing that I would love.
0: Well, I hope that comes soon for for everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I, another question I would ask people is like. You know, I know you're so focused on your own business that you're seeing these things, but you speak to other people that are in, in this industry. Is there a business idea or a need that you see? And this probably is a takeoff on what you just said, but is there a business idea or a need that you're seeing being largely unmet that if anybody's out there that does this thing, you know, they could easily pivot uh, into yeah, this Yeah, I space think like, like you
1: um, I feel like, although there are a bunch of companies that are trying hard, but the getting consumers educated on all of the options that are out there um, and how they can benefit them as individuals. I don't think, I think a lot of people are trying. I don't think any, anyone has done it really, really well. Like, you know, as a consumer, there's like, there's thousands of products out there, right. You know, and you know, from various categories, you know, t- the flower category, the edibles category, the oils category, there's thousands of products. Like how do how do how do we get consumers to understand like, you know, the value of those products, you know, whether they make how they make me feel, what how they, you know, repair whatever issues they're looking to repair, whatever the what the issues are. I just feel like there's there's a better mousetrap of that. And I and I feel like now, does that affect our business so much? No, but I do think it affects the industry overall because I think the more educated consumers can be, whether they're active cannabis consumers or not yet or if they're thinking about it, that would be usually helpful. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. The Amazon review system is definitely broken for that. you're like, Oh, it's four stars. What does that mean? Four stars for you, but like, that might just, that might be nothing for me. So. I mean, this is, this is like, this is a
1: whole, uh, this industry is like so new, you know, the education piece is something that um, I think, you know, customer would, would really, if done really
0: well, would yeah. really appreciate a lot. That's, that's some, that's some good takeaway on that one. Jeffrey, I really appreciate your time. Good luck with all that you're doing here. Congratulations on all your success with this and, you know, best of luck with you and the whole rest of the team at Spring Big. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed it. And by yeah. the way, you, you, Brian, you got me thinking a lot with your question. So I appreciate that too.
0: Well, good. I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to provide some value back to you Thank too. You. Is awesome, It uh, okay. Jeffrey, thanks for sharing your founder's journey. Thanks. Be good. Thank you for listening to Lit Up, a Founder's Journey, a Lit Up Media production. I'm your host, Brian Weber. This episode was produced by Anthony Morgola, edited by Brian Weber and Anthony Morgola. Theme music by Justin Cruz of Cruise Control Music. Links from today's episodes are available in our show notes. If you received any value from our show, please take a second and leave a review in iTunes. And share with your friends and colleagues. It really helps. You can connect with us on our website, litupfounders.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at litupfounders, and on LinkedIn, at litupmedia. Finally, our email address is feedback at litupmedia.com. Thanks for listening and sharing the journey.